All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Run Free Podcast. So glad you guys are with us today. We have a special guest. We have Coach Brittany with us, and we are going to be having a fun conversation, learning her story. We're going to talk a little bit about some outside-the-box things today, which I think you guys will find really interesting. Um, Just to give you guys a quick heads up of who Brittany is, she comes from a triathlon uh, well she started as a competitive swimmer 20 years ago and then kind of evolved into a triathlete and then she has started coaching also starting her coaching as a swimmer and then now specializing as a triathlete coach so I'm really excited for this conversation because when I look back at my running I used to have this mentality of like if I'm hurt then it's game over and I'm just like not going to cross train at all. I'm not going to do anything else. It's like all that all or nothing mentality. Right. And, um, I have really grown a lot in this perspective over my running career. And as I continue on as a coach and the value I see of crossing over into other sports into cross training and not just seeing cross training as something you do when you are injured, but rather, something that can actually make you a better runner and you, something that you should even do when you're healthy um, has real that perspective I think has really added a lot to uh, my coaching and so I'm really excited to have Brittany aboard um, with her knowledge vast knowledge in the endurance space in general and all that she's adding to run free we had her shoot uh, a little video for us and she was doing what were you doing Brittany it was like a reverse push-up or something like your body looked all contorted I was like I'm not even gonna attempt this because I'll break my back for sure what what was that it was an upside down push-up upside down push-up so if you guys want to check that out it's on our uh, run for YouTube channel um I I'm gonna have to t- you did mention like you can take progressive steps towards that right <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> I've I've been doing that for a while so and I'm yeah. still not an expert at it so it takes a while to learn yes that is one that looks like takes some practice so Brittany I would love to just kind of start at the beginning with you um where did you grow up when did you start getting into endurance sports kind of just dive into your story a little bit for us sure so I grew up in Ventura California which is about equally between Santa Barbara and Los Angeles on the coast. Um, I still actually live in Ventura today. Um, So let's see. I started in endurance sports as a swimmer. Um, I played a lot of sports as a kid, but swimming was one of them. I think I started when I was about eight and I didn't really like it. Actually, I preferred to do like soccer and dance. Um, and I did just a lot of different activities, but my parents really wanted me to stick with it and just kind of like until I got to at least an intermediate level and then decide if I wanted to do something else and not swim anymore. Um, so I stuck with it for actually probably a few years. I was, I was so terrible at it. And it took me a long time to get even to an intermediate level. Um, But once I got to the next step up, I just progressed really quickly and I had a lot of fun and didn't want to quit. So I learned a lot then from that, just like about 
giving things a, a shot, even if you don't like them at first. Um, so, so how so. did your parents do that, Brittany? Did they like try and bribe you with candy and stuff? Like <laughs> how, how do you get your kid to like stay in a sport that they're really like not loving? What was their tactic? Uh, um, well, I liked the friends I had there and they didn't, it's not like they made me go like there were kids in my swim club that were at a really elite level at my, even at my like 10 to 12 age group level. So I wasn't one of them. So I didn't have the pressure and I didn't have the like crazy workout schedule that they had. And I was still doing my other sports too. So I would swim like maybe three days a week and I would get to see my friends. Um, the thing was, I probably didn't like it because I wasn't good at it. And I, I wasn't as good as all the other like elite level kids. Um, so I think they just saw that like, oh, well, you know, maybe the reason you're not having fun is because you haven't like put in the focus to like get to a, a level where you are having fun with it. Um, and I really didn't like looking back, I really didn't focus that much on the swimming itself. I was probably so distracted when I was at practice that I wasn't really putting in the effort. Um, so yeah, I don't think they bribed me, but they did say like, okay, well, if you get to this time standard level at a meet, then we'll be okay with you quitting. So I was just like, okay, I'll just be determined to get to that level. And then once I put in, had the focus, then I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. So, so your initial motivation was quitting <laughs> get to the point yes. where you can quit <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> i'll show you <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so so what events were you focused on uh when i was little we did all the events like i mean we it was pretty short distance like um 50s and hundreds and i am and all the strokes but uh so but you train it's interesting coming from a swim background because you don't, when you're little, you don't do events that are longer than two to three minutes, but you train, like you do ridiculously long swim sets anyway. So you're like swimming nonstop for over an hour, maybe two hours every day. And then your event is going to last 30 seconds to two minutes. So it's interesting coming from that and then seeing how like people train for track events that are really short. And it's, I mean, you, you always have like you come at it from different perspectives depending on your background, but it's been interesting coming into uh, triathlon and seeing how different people train for different sports. Totally. Are Are you familiar with Coach Timmons at all? Uh, Coach Jim Ryan back in the seventies. It sounds his name sounds familiar, but um, I don't know. Don't yeah. know too much about. <laughs> so, so this is really interesting. So. Jim Ryan, uh, man, he was like way before his time, right? Like set world records in the mile, 1500, 800. 
And so he started out as a runner and his coach was a high school coach, Coach Timmons, who Mm -hmm. came from a swimming background. So Mm -hmm. the training he had Jim Ryan doing was way, you know, I talk about outside the box, like way outside the Mm -hmm. box. Right. So he had Mm -hmm. Jim Ryan doing like 50 by 400 um, meter repeats. (laughs) Right. And like Mm -hmm. doing intervals. So like from what I understand and like hear you saying like these long sessions in the pool and a lot of interval work. Right. Mm -hmm. So he had Jim Ryan doing like intervals like every single day. And it wasn't like crazy, you know, oftentimes when we prescribe intervals, like the intensity level is really high. It's kind of like this like moderate intensity level, but like just a ton of like threshold quality broken up interval work. And all of his stuff came from what he learned in the swim background. And, you know, he made Jim Ryan into um, the greatest miler the planet had ever seen off of the mm-hmm. swim style training. Super, super interesting. So I'm yeah. curious to ask you that question, like knowing what you know about swimming, I'm kind of jumping ahead in your story here, but we'll go back to it. Um, what did you learn from swimming and have you continued to learn from swimming that like maybe you just kind of gnaw on at night as a coach now where you're like, I'd be really curious to see if I took this training strategy from swimming and applied it to some of my athletes I'm coaching. I'd be really curious to see how they do off that. Do you have any things like that from swimming that just like you're really curious to try in the running space? Hmm. Um, wow. That's a good question. Um, I think what I've learned, I've, I've had quite a few different coaches and been exposed to a lot of different swim coaching philosophies and comparing it to what I've seen in running. I think it's interesting because I, I grew up with a lot of real old school swim coaching where, and I really appreciate it where it's like just a lot of volume and a lot of threshold work. Um, but then now I've seen a lot more coaches in swimming um, totally de-emphasize the volume and the just like quote unquote garbage yards and do a lot more speed and high rest. And um, yeah, just so I've I've seen that. And then I look at running and I see a lot more. I feel like running has been a lot more structured than swimming, at least in the Maybe up until recently, I feel like swimming has just been like do a lot of swimming and do a lot of hard intervals and um, maybe not as like structured (laughs) or like maybe it doesn't always make a lot of sense why you're doing things. Whereas I think in running, there's been a lot more um, maybe research or maybe... um, just like different strategies tested and tried by different coaches and kind of like, I don't know, maybe I'm just unaware of that in swimming, but I feel like it's been, it seems like there's a lot more information on how to train for running. Um, So I think like in swimming, it's just kind of like throw a bunch of stuff at them and see what works and (laughs) try a couple of things. But like, maybe I think another challenge with swimming is, with like testing, it's not as, not as easy to test swimmers, um, as far as like lactate testing or VO2 testing. So it's just kind of like guess, guessing where their threshold is based on like the pace clock and not necessarily like their blood lactate or something. So, um, 
That's interesting to me. So why, why is it hard to do lactic testing? It seems like it'd be easier in a pool because you just like pop up and give them your finger, get a prick and you're off, you know? Yeah. Maybe I, maybe it's not that it's harder. Maybe it's just that it's, and, and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe that, maybe it happens all the time. I've just haven't really seen that as much in swimming. Um, and maybe I think the other thing, like if you stick someone on a treadmill, you can control their pace. Um, or if they're running on the track, they can look at their watch to know that they're going the right pace. Whereas if you have them in the pool, like say you swim a hundred meters in a long course pool, um, you don't know for sure, like they were going the same pace the whole time and they are just guessing what their effort is and they can't necessarily always get real time feedback. Although that's changing now too. Like there are goggles that will, they'll be able to look in their goggles at the lens and tell what pace they're going at any given time. It's just the feedback is slower because you have to wait till you stop and look at the clock and then tell somebody what effort you were going. And you can't just watch your, look at your watch, glance down at your watch while you're swimming as easily. Got it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. That makes sense. I always just have the impression like, I don't know why. Maybe it's because swimming, like, they have the crazy speed suits and, like, all this stuff. Like, I just thought, like, the, the science side of swimming was actually, like, more advanced than running. So that's really interesting to hear. I don't know. I It may – I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I just – that's my perception from the background I've had in the sport. But I could be way off. <laughs> huh. Okay, so – um, man, I could ask you a whole bunch more questions about swim training, but I'm going to hold my tongue for a second so we can get back to your story. Um, okay. So take us back to swimming and, uh, you, you met the standards to quit, but when you met them, you, uh, wanted to keep going. Um, so what, what kind of took place after that? Uh, let's see. So I, I would say that I owe the the newfound love of swimming to the coach I had at the time who was super passionate and he actually rubbed a lot of swimmers the wrong way because he was so intense, but I really thrived when I was training with him because he rewarded the swimmers that wanted to work hard and I was willing to listen and learn and work hard. So he, um, we just had a really good coach athlete relationship and he really motivated me to want to keep keep progressing and so by the time I was at the level that my parents had said I could quit I was like what are you talking about I I want to go to the next meet and reach the next time standard and I'm not going to quit so that's kind of where it went from there and I ended up swimming for that coach for um, pretty much until I went to college and then even after when I would come home on breaks and things, I'd still swim with him. Very cool. So I'm always curious when, uh, you know, people talk about good coaches and the traits that those coaches had. I'm always curious, like how, and then now they're themselves into coaching, how working with certain coaches like affected how they currently coach their athletes. So as you look back at like this coach who like was intense yet inspiring and kept you in the sport, um, what things do you pull from him? Like, do you find that you coach in a similar manner to how he coached or do you pull certain characteristics from how he coached into your coaching today? I try to take certain things, for example, like, I think it's more the feeling that I got as an athlete that 
he cared and that um, like he would sit down with us individually to talk about goals and teach us like how to set realistic goals and and talk about like how we're going to accomplish them. And I just never I hadn't really been exposed to that way of thinking about sport before and like just feeling in control of like, oh, I can make a decision about what I want and even like thinking about what I want to accomplish. And then um, I really I always enjoyed math. So it was fun to like sit there and think about a time that I wanted and and divide it and think about the splits I was going to try to hit and then try to carry that into practices. So I think it's like the feeling I got that someone cared and then like empowering someone to think about what they want and how they're going to get there are some things that I hope that I am um, giving to the athletes that I coach. Totally. I love those things. All right, cool. So uh, continue on. How long did you end up swimming for? I still swim today as a triathlete, but I competed in swimming. Um, let's see. So and through high school, and then I walked on to the UCLA women's swim team as a freshman at UCLA. Um, but then I quickly found out that in order to continue on that team, it was gonna, I mean, it was, it was really difficult as I'm sure any NCAA division one program is. Um, but for me as a walk-on being not quite at the same level as the rest of the team, I found that every warm up was a struggle to get through. And then by the time I was through the warm up onto the main set, I was like already ready to finish practice and um, so it was, it was really challenging. I'm really glad I did it. But at the end of the season, I was like, I finally had the realization that I didn't have to do it. And I was so relieved. And I w- I told the coach, I didn't think I wanted to swim anymore. And she was super understanding. And she was like, well, you know, it's this program, it's not for everyone. And we still talk today and I'm super thankful for the opportunity that I got to be part of the team. But after that, I ended up, um, just, I had done a couple seasons of high school cross country. So I ended up saying, okay, I'm just going to run. And I signed up for a marathon a couple months later and got into running and then got into triathlon. And, uh, I just wanted to say that because I basically got out of swimming, but then, um, a couple of years ago, let's see, three years ago, I think, um, I ended up competing in swimming again because I am a, I coach at a local, uh, community college or I was coaching there. And, um, there was a season where I wasn't going to be able to coach for like, they were hiring, uh, they were changing up the faculty and staff. So I wasn't going to be coaching for a season. So I realized that I had some eligibility. Um, so I'd never competed in community college sports. So I, I can't remember what it, for some reason I had a season of eligibility. So I ended up competing in swimming at the community college level a few years ago as like a 28 year old. And it was really fun. It was, I, uh, it made me want to go back and 
swim competitively again, but I think it's just one of those things that when you do it, you just want to keep doing it. But then now that I've had a break from it again, I'm like, okay, it's probably time. I don't need to, I don't need to dive off the blocks. You know, maybe I'll do it again in like a master's meet someday, but I'm okay with leaving it at that. I ended up PRing in the um, 1650, which is the mile at the last meet of the season. So that was a really good experience. Nice. So just out of curiosity, how long does it take to swim a mile? I don't think I've ever swam a mile in my life. (laughs) Um, It took me right about 18 minutes. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, I have a hard time walking a mile in 18 minutes. So I think that'd be, that'd be tough for me. So, so this has all been super interesting. But before we leave the swim space, I have a couple like rapid fire swim questions for you that I've always been curious about because, you know, going to Stanford, um, and this is my first rapid fire question for you. We would be biking down to practice. Sometimes our coach would make us do morning workouts. Most of the time we were working out in the afternoon, like two or three o'clock. But occasionally we'd have to like get up, quote unquote, early and go down to like practice at like 8 a.m. or something like that. <laughs> and and all the swimmers are biking back to the dorms, you know. And I'm like, why do swimmers go so early? I don't understand. Is that like a, is that a thing in swimming? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I... Ugh, as a junior and senior in high school, our my swim practice, the main workout of the day started at 5 a.m. And it was oh. from five, it was from five to seven a.m. And I would get up at four and I would eat and go to practice and go to school. And then depending on the season, if it was high school season, we'd have um like a high school practice in the afternoon. So I had I would go to bed usually around eight, but ideally like pretty much before nine every day. Wow. And so what, is there a functional thought behind going so early? So I, I don't think it's the best. Uh, Definitely like now I think a lot more coaches are, they realize how important sleep is and it's probably not ideal um, for a teenager to be doing that every day. But I think so at the time, the reason that we'd had we had that schedule was just based on when the pool was available because it was at a high school pool. So we had to be out before like their water polo team came in and practiced in the morning um, and they didn't have a lot of pool availability in the afternoon because it was also a community pool. So that was why we were always there so early. (laughs) But even in college, like we, we would still have, um, I think we were still practicing before 6am. I think that the logic was like it, you can get out of the pool, get to your first class and then, um, have some time to either like eat or go to another class before afternoon practice. So you have a little more recovery because pretty much all swimmers do doubles. So you have Like if you have double workouts of swimming and then you also have weights and other things like it's to space them out more to give more recovery in between, I guess. Got it. So I'm curious, like when you're saying swimmers all do doubles. So like as as runners, most time when we're doubling, like our afternoon run is usually easy if you're working out in the morning and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So with swimming, is it like quality, quality, like every time you're in the pool, it's like a quality session? Yeah, I think like. 
for me, when I was in college, it was always quality because I was always having to work so hard just to keep up. Um, but, and I think there are a lot of programs like when I was in high school, like it was usually quality all the time. Um, but now I've noticed a lot of programs won't even do doubles at all. Like they might have one three hour workout in the afternoon where they do an hour of dry land and then two hours of swimming and they don't do any mornings. Um, like our local club now, they, the high schoolers usually don't do mornings except maybe once or twice a week and it'll just be skill work. Um, and then when I was coaching at the community college, I had a couple of, like I worked under a couple of different head coaches and one of them was more volume and, um, rarely did a workout without some type of quality, but the other was more like, okay, well the morning's going to be like in the equivalent of like a shakeout run where you just kind of like get your body moving and maybe practice some skills. And then the afternoon is when you're going to do the quality work. Got it. Okay. That's, that's interesting. All right. So, uh, did you have a favorite swim workout? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, I would say like, I have workouts that are my favorite to give as a coach now, but when I was a swimmer, I have a couple of favorites that I remember because I was able to like surprise myself and do really well. And I'd say like my favorite workout that I still think about is 10 100s freestyle leaving every two minutes. So the idea is like you swim one in a minute or faster and then you get a minute rest. And I remember like, I just had this amazing day. My high school coach used to give us that set quite a bit. And I, I finally had this like breakout day where I was able to do all my one hundreds in under a minute. And I just look back to that and I'm like, that's like probably the peak of my swim career right there in that, that high school practice. So that was my favorite. That's cool. That's like a fartlek run, right? Like I prescribe that workout all the time, like 10 by a minute on minute off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, very exactly. Cool. So what about uh, any differences that you see with nutrition in swimmers? You know, we, we hear this like, or, or saw an article about Michael Phelps and how he's eating like 10,000 calories a day and like five pizzas a day and all this stuff. Like, can you, can you fill us in a little bit on like <laughs> nutrition for swimmers and what that kind of looks like? Yeah. So like, just from my observation and my own experience, I find that swimmers are super hungry all the time. Um, when I was in high school, I had a reputation for eating more than like all the boys in my class. We had, we had like a, um, camp that we went to, to study for the AP test. And I just remember like the boys, like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to eat you know, this much food. And they were like, you're not going to be able to eat that. And then they were super surprised because I was able to eat that and then some more. Um, and then when I went to college, I living in the dorms, like we have, we had a, some pretty good dorm food and it was kind of like a buffet style. So I just, I felt like the swimmers would just sit there for two hours and just eat nonstop. Like your appetite is it's pretty high. I think, I think it has something to do with being in the water and um, the water being a little bit colder than your core temperature. So then you just, it kind of makes you 
hungry, even if you don't need the food, it makes you feel like you need more energy to stay warm, maybe. Um, but as yeah, so I think that's maybe part of why swimmers eat so much. Um, but then, uh, like I said, like a lot of swimmers just swim so much that they really just burn so many calories and they need to eat quite a bit. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm just curious about it. Cause you know, the Michael Phelps article and all that stuff, like, yeah. and like I observed it too at Stanford. Yeah. Like I totally, like I can picture all the swimmers sitting at the same table and seem like they're sitting there forever. Just like mowing down <laughs> food. So, well, and plus like we've all experienced that, right? Like you get out of the pool and all of a sudden you're just like starving. Um, you know, I can yes. remember that as a kid for sure. <laughs> uh, so last swim question, cause I am uh, not doing a good job of moving us along here because I'm so curious <laughs> about this. Um, so this is uh, one that's going to go to kind of the heart of this podcast is all about like what's going on inside of you and managing your inner game, right? And growing in your inner game. So when I think mm -hmm. about swimming, I don't think I can think of a activity that I've ever done where time felt like it was standing still <laughs> if that makes sense mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like i'm cross training right and like i'm supposed to like i'm like oh, i'm just gonna swim like 30 minutes and i'm not doing intervals or anything i'm just gonna like swim because i think that will be helpful for some reason and mm -hmm. i look at my watch the first time and it's been like three minutes and i swear it's been like 15 minutes you know so <laughs> yes. can you talk to me how like swimmers just must have and i don't know if they use like underwater speakers and all that stuff you could tell about that but um like how do you get used to that and how how would you recommend to people who are maybe runners now right and they're running a marathon or doing their long run and they're just checking their watch like every 30 seconds and being like time is just going by so slow how do you recommend mm -hmm. people like work through that inner struggle we have sometimes with the monotony of endurance sports oh yeah um I think it's difficult for me to try to recommend because I, since I've been doing it, swimming for so long, like back and forth in a pool, I came to really enjoy it. And I've actually never used music like the MP3 players people use. Like I, and I don't enjoy running with headphones. I, I will occasionally listen to music like, if I'm doing like a super, super long run and I just need to break it up. Um, but I think because I did, I have been swimming for so long. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to explain, <laughs> um, what it is, but I, I really enjoy that. I like, like I could swim for over an hour in the open water. I think, well, there is a difference between open water and in the pool. Like it's not as monotonous. But, um, Ooh, uh, I think it's like, it's kind of like meditation where you have to learn how to be okay with just being and not like, not, I don't know, kind of letting your mind just relax and, um, kind of be in that like flow state where maybe you count like maybe you count strokes for a while and you think about like how many strokes am I taking on this lap and like try to keep it the same each lap to make sure you're staying efficient with your stroke or maybe you just find like one thing in your stroke you can focus on um or your breathing um 
And sometimes you can't like, sometimes if it is just like a super easy swim, I just like let my mind do whatever it wants to do. And I find the time goes by pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause I feel like that was probably my problem when I was swimming is I wasn't like, well also too, like, so when I prescribe like treadmill running to my athletes, like I really prescribe just like easy treadmill run. Cause I had the same problem on a treadmill where if I just hop on there and run easy for 30 minutes, it's like, you got to cover up the timer with the towel, right? Cause you're just like staring at it the whole time it goes by super slow. But if I'm actually <laughs> yes. like, doing a workout right like breaking Mm -hmm. it up so then i'm like having to focus on what i'm doing it's kind of like the the difference between just letting your mind go wherever it wants to go to like actually being like present you know you mentioned like meditation and Mm -hmm. like when you're focused on what you're doing like time doesn't go by super slow you know and like you Mm -hmm. like you're saying you get in that flow state and um you can get lost in that like i've done around 26 miles on treadmills before and it wasn't bad at all like it was (laughs) i actually kind of preferred it to like running outside but i was doing a workout i was doing intervals i was doing threshold like i was always doing something it wasn't just like an easy 26 mile run otherwise it would have gone crazy so imagine with like swimming that also plays into it because you guys like you mentioned in your training you're often doing workouts but that's that's interesting how that's transitioned to running for you not listening to music at all because um like I always listened to music when I was working out but I always kind of like wanted like it feels more pure right to like get to that point where you don't like quote unquote need the music so that's cool that that kind of like transitioned into the running space for you Yeah. Well, I will say like, if I were running on a treadmill, that would be completely different. I would have to listen to music. Like I know when I'm riding inside, I have an indoor bike trainer and I, if I do like intervals, it's, I can be very entertained or like if I listen to music or a podcast, but if I had to do an easy ride inside with no other stimulus, I think that would be like torture. (laughs) So yeah, trainers is another uh, mind bending tool for sure. Um, all right, cool. This has been really interesting. Let's let's. You talked about like getting into running and running a few cross country seasons. So how did you manage cross country and swimming at the same time? Uh, yeah, so we had cross country in the fall and then swimming in the spring. Um, so the yeah, since my club swim team we worked out so early in the morning it actually worked out fine because I would just go to swimming and then we had cross-country practice in the afternoon Um, so that's what I would do in the fall and then my problem or what I did wrong was I didn't really run the rest of the year so then when I would get back to cross-country season and I was pretty fit from swimming I would run too fast and too far and get injured because my, my legs weren't really ready for it. So that's what I right. did. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're cardiovascularly super fit, but you're also not used to impact at all, right? Being in a pool yeah. all the time. So, mm-hmm. so that makes me even more curious about how did you mention signing up for a marathon? What, what marathon did you sign up for? And what was that experience like training for your first marathon? Yeah, I so I, I think I probably stopped the swim team or quit the team about um, maybe like April or yeah, maybe like April or May, the end of the quarter. 
And then I signed up for the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, and it wasn't very far away, um, like time-wise. And I, my sister, I have two older sisters, and one of them was going to be running. So I just signed up because she was doing it. And I did not train properly. <laughs> I was, my logic was, okay, well, if I can do a 12-mile long run, then I could do 13. And if I could do 13, I could do 26. So I just did a 12 mile run and wow. then I did a marathon. <laughs> and it was not a very good idea. <laughs> okay. So tell us how the marathon went. Ugh, well, I made the mistake of getting really nervous the night before and eating way too much and um, feeling really sluggish the morning of. And then we weren't really prepared for how big of an event it was going to be. So we ended up having to get dropped off pretty far away from the start in order to make it to the start on time. And then had to like run through all the cars and people to get there. So I probably ran like at least 27 miles. And then I was so excited and like all the energy just like, made me run probably definitely way too fast for the first like maybe six miles. And then at mile 16, I was just wrecked. Like I had to stop and get ibuprofen and just like walk for a while. And, and then I somehow made it another 10 miles <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. And I, I think it, I think it took me like a month to be able to run like normally again. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you get any like legit injuries or just your body was super beat up and sore and all that? I had I think it gave me some issues for a while. Like I had some a part of the marathon was on a banked road for quite a few miles. So Anytime I was on that a, a similar bank uh, angle, I noticed my knee would start bugging me again. Um, and I think that was probably the majority of it. It might have like carried, it might have had an uh, effect like down the chain on my eventual like Achilles. And um, I had like, some, you know, plantar fasciitis and stuff later on. But um, I think it was because I wasn't able to run for a while afterward. I think that was probably good. It forced me to kind of heal and recover. Totally. Your, your experience is <laughs> reminding me of uh, when I did the World Marathon Challenge, you know, the sub-marathon, seven days, seven continents. Because uh, mm -hmm. I, I trained even less than you did. I, my longest run was eight miles training for that. And uh, I, so I always tell people, like, you can get through a marathon on very little training. Like, you only went 12 miles. You got through it. It's just not going to be super fun. And you're probably going to, like, yeah, have a big a recovery period afterwards. Like, I got a stress fracture on day five. So, but I was mm -hmm. 
more than happy to take like 10 weeks completely off no running i was i was good with that after <laughs> after my week of running so how was it for you uh was it was that one and done then i mean obviously you got in triathlon so you continue to run and get into running but um in terms of marathoning have you attempted another one since then or no yeah so i actually um i don't think i don't remember if it was like a goal but i remember thinking as I was getting close to that finish that like, Oh, well maybe I'll be, be able to qualify for Boston if I just like finish and pick it up a little bit. So I ended up qualifying at the time I was like, I was under 20. So I, the, the time standard wasn't super crazy. Uh, so I qualified for Boston barely like by a minute oh, and I was able to Boston. <laughs> I thought this was like yeah. a war story like mine of like a six hour <laughs> marathon. That's not that well, bad. <laughs> I was I think I just banked so much time the first half. Like it was horrifying looking at the splits afterward, but um I managed to like run it in and so yeah, like I barely qualified. I think the time was like three forty and I probably went like three thirty-nine 12 or something like that. Um, and so my family came to Boston with me the next year and I ran that. Uh, okay. um, and, and I did and run the, a couple other marathons and actually trained for them. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> ask, how did, how do you, how did your training differ after that first one? What did you start doing? <laughs> I, re- I read a lot of like, I remember I read the runner's world. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was like just like the ultimate runner's guide and I ended up reading a lot more about training properly and and that's when I joined the triathlon team and there were some people on the team who were also doing marathons so I was able to kind of learn from them and train with them um so and then had gotten into biking too so that was good like cross training and um I think even just like having done the marathon was good for me, humbling for me to know like what I needed, that I needed to do the volume. And, um, yeah, so that's, I think the difference was I did more long runs and I learned, Oh, the other big lesson for me was like when I first started training for marathons, I just had the mentality that I'd had in cross country, like go as fast as you can for the distance. So like when I would do a long run, it was basically like as fast as I can do that long run. Um, rather than like having a plan for what effort it should be. And so whenever I finished a long run, I was just like completely toast and I, you time travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, exactly. So, um, it eventually I learned that, um, you shouldn't, I, once I hit like 20 miles on or 16 miles during a long run and I wasn't able to, continue doing the run because I had gone too fast I realized I can't keep doing that (laughs) right no so now everything is making sense I understand why you only did a 12 mile long run if you're time traveling (laughs) like I would the the longest like thresholds we do when we're training for marathons I got up to 18 but it's too far I like cooked myself if I went 18 so the longest we'd go in training and this was true for like Dina and Meb and everyone was like 15 mile threshold was kind of bread and butter so you know you actually like weren't far off in in your approach in that first one just also have to have a not as intense long run where you're covering more distance Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So you've, you've definitely uh, grown a lot in this category. So talk to us about kind of your transition into triathlon and how that got going. Yeah. So I, I had a friend in my dorm that was on the triathlon club. And once I wasn't swimming anymore, he was like, Oh, well, you should come practice with the triathlon team. And he knew that I liked to run. So I started, I was like, okay, but I don't want to do triathlons. Like I don't, I don't have a bike. I don't really want to bike. So I joined the team, but I would just come to the swimming and like track workouts with the team and keep doing my marathon training and stuff. Um, and I don't, I don't really know what came over me, but I decided to, um, I basically spent my life savings on a a bike, a road bike that a teammate was selling. And it took me a long time to get into biking and to enjoy it because I was in LA. And so in order to get anywhere that was without a lot of cars, like you had to know where you were going. And it was kind of like being by myself. Like I had to, I would, I would only go with groups. And so, um, maybe just like weekend rides occasionally, or if a friend was willing to teach me the ropes, then I would go with them. I was terrible at it. Actually. I I remember like my first group ride, I had slowed everyone down. I brought, I couldn't like, I had to eat every 15 minutes cause I just didn't have the biking muscles and I was so tired. And, um, yeah, so I've come a long way and I, I think it, Probably after like the first season, I once I had actually done a triathlon and realized that I um, I felt confident. And I think being a swimmer really gave me a leg up on people who had just had no swim background. And I mean, that's I think the majority of triathletes um, come in as runners or cyclists and it takes a long time to learn swimming. So I think once I had that confidence, then I just really enjoyed it a lot more and um, got into the cycling and learned to love it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's cool. So you've mentioned something that I want to revisit. Uh, you mentioned it a couple times where like initially you were not great at swimming and how that wasn't, that made swimming kind of not that much fun for you. And then as you're getting into triathlon, also you kind of ran into the same thing where you weren't just initially like killing it. So talk to you because this is i think a really important thing to talk about with runners i've always described running as like a secret club because it's the least amount of fun right when you get going right so like it's hard Mm -hmm. to like push through that initial it depends like how unfit you are it could be a month it could be six months it could be a year where like the whole time like running is just like it doesn't feel that good physically you know and then eventually you do get to that spot where like it feels amazing you have your days where you're crushing it like that minute on minute off you're talking about doing in the swim um so you've had a a couple life experiences of learning to push through not initially like enjoying a sport and i know like for swimming that kind of went back to like your parents and being like you need to push through this you need to hit this certain level before you can stop doing what you're doing but in obviously in the triathlon space you were older at the time and probably your parents weren't forcing you to do it anymore so (laughs) what has been uh something that's been helpful for you in learning to push things push through things that aren't initially super fun right off the bat 
Hmm. Um, well, at the time, like with with cycling, I think it was the the fact that it, I had a team and I was excited about um, other aspects of the sport, like running and swimming. But then the challenge of something new that I could really like learn and get better at. Um, but I think now I really admire people that are willing to do something, even if they don't feel like they're successful at it, or maybe they don't even think like they have hopes of being like the best at it, but they still want to do it just because they enjoy it. Whereas like then I didn't really appreciate that. I just, I think I just felt like I didn't even recognize like why something wasn't fun to me was because I wasn't the best at it. Um, I just took it for granted that like, you're supposed to want to be like quote unquote successful at something or compare, like be better than somebody else. Um, so like, I think, I think what is like generally the case is like when you see progress and when you see like potential for progress in an area, it it's fun. Um, whether it's progress, like, in the same way that it was before, like times or pe- like lifetime bests or something, or maybe it's progress in like your mindset about it or like yeah, your approach or something. I think that always has made something fun to me. Like it's, it's a challenge. Not sure if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can totally relate to that. Like getting into lifting, for example, after running. And it was like weird for me to not be good at my sport of choice, you know. And uh, I was terrible. And I'm still like not really good compared to like actual like strongmen and competitions and all that. But I can totally relate because I just love like I'm addicted to progress and to mm-hmm. being able to pick up a weight that I've never been able to pick up before, you know, like it it can be so much fun. And in today's day and age, it can get kind of discouraging if, you know, you're on Instagram checking out what people are able to do and you're just like, whoa, like they're so much better than me. So if you get into the comparison trap, it can kind of kill that. But I find for myself Mm -hmm. when I'm really focused on just like, oh, I'm improving, I'm seeing growth. Like I I love that. So Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to what you're talking about there. Yeah, I was going to say too, like, I, I think when I was in college, I, because I had a lot of swim base fitness and had been running and like, it wasn't as competitive then on the like club collegiate women's side. Um, so I was able to have some like immediate success in the sport and it was fun because I had success and I felt like confident and I felt okay, like I'm really good at this. But then I also had the opposite experience when I, uh, eventually like took a break from triathlon, came back into it and decided I wanted to go like race as an elite in triathlon, but then like was at the bottom of like the small fish in the big pond. And I didn't realize like I was I was doing, I was competing for a couple of years and just like not realizing why it wasn't fun. And then I had the like epiphany that, oh, like I'm, I was always doing that. Like I was always having fun because I was better than other people. And because I 
like that gave me confidence and I felt good about myself. But now like the challenge is to enjoy it, even though I'm like, (laughs) my results are not at the top anymore. And, um, so that's been like a fun challenge for me to like, see that I can enjoy it even when I'm not the best and I can still like want to progress and want to improve and, um, compete and get better. But like learning to enjoy it just because I want to do it, not because I need to be the best in order to have fun. Right. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to that. And that's a journey we all walk, you know, whether you're at one time you're winning your age group or you're running certain time, you know, like we all like slow down and performance, our view of performance, like kind of shifts. So I'm curious for you, like, as you've kind of had this shift, um, how do you, how has your motivation changed? Like, cause obviously it's super motivating to be like, I'm going to win. Like I'm going to be at the top. Like that, that's an easy motivator. Right. But like, you're talking about just trying to find a way to enjoy what you're doing and still be motivated to like go out and like push yourself and do hard workouts and have the discipline to head out the door when you don't feel out the door or you don't feel like heading out the door. Um, so what does that look like for you? How do you like, how has your motivation changed or shifted or and how do you stay motivated with this kind of like new mindset towards performance that you have? Yeah. Um, I think it's like realizing why I want to do it. Like what, like, I guess just even identifying what my motivation is because I think I used to just take it for granted that like, yeah, of course I want to do this. Like I'm good at it. Of course I should keep going. Um, but now it's like, Um, I ask myself that a lot, like what, why am I doing this? Like, what's the reason? And I think I just really wanted to, um, I really enjoy like going back to like discovering potential or like being able to keep getting better and seeing, pushing the limit to see like how good I can get. Um, but I think now I just kind of like, I try to align it with like what I, why I'm motivated to do anything like in life. Like, I think it's, it's all kind of the same. Like, why, why do I want to be good as an, why do I want to be the best athlete I can be? Why do I want to be the best wife and friend and daughter and coach? Like, I think it's all related and um, really like, for me, it's just, well, I want to, I believe all the things that I have in my life and like the reason I even am in the sport of triathlon is because God gave me the opportunity and has given me the people in my life that I have. And, um, so I, I think they're all gifts. And so I want to use them like to give them, offer them back up to him is kind of my motivation like to offer him. And I guess that could mean something different for everyone. But like for me in sport, that just means like making the most out of it, like giving my best. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. That's, that's so key when you get to the heart of like why you're doing what you're doing. I love how like for you too, it's not just in sports, but you've asked yourself that question across like all different categories in life. That's like one of Sarah and I's favorite question to ask runners when we do talks with them is like, why are you doing what you're doing? Cause it's very easy to just like 
not think about that question, you know, and so, but when you know, when you know why you're doing what you're doing, it it's powerful and it just sets your focus in the right place. Right. So mm-hmm. you can be doing something like for the wrong reasons and like, that's not your intention, but it's just kind of drifted off. You kind of just drifted off course, you know, but when you know, like why you're doing what you're doing, it's very easy to bring yourself back to that and just be like, this is why I'm out here doing this right now. So cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. So uh, before we leave the, the triathlon space, favorite, I hate it when people ask absolute questions and here I'm doing it, but what is <laughs> one of your favorite, uh, memories as a triathlete? Like one of the things you look back on yours, like, man, that was such an amazing experience or I guess you're still kind of going. So, um, but mm. currently, hmm. um, I have had a lot of really fun race experiences at, have you heard of the triathlon called wildflower? Yes, I think my little brother did that one. It's like out in the sticks, right? <laughs> it's uh, in Paso Robles at Lake San Antonio, uh, which is right next to Lake Nacimiento. Yeah, um, I watched, I watched yeah. him do that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I have been going to that race since I was in college. And we had like the first time I went. Well, the other special thing about it for me is that my family has been going up there to Lake Nasimiano for like decades. My my parents own property there and we camp there. We used to camp there like every summer. So I know all the roads and it just feels like home to me. So that's probably a really big reason. But the other thing is the um the wildflower and they they don't they haven't had this same experience in recent years due to like drought and just like, um, I think difficulties with getting enough participants and things, but for a long time running the wildflower weekend was just like, it was a festival. It was like supposed to be a family, um, friendly environment, which is kind of, it's almost like being like at a, like a fair, like they had a bunch of food and music and events for kids and they have events going on all weekend, um, like different length triathlons and mountain bike events. And, um, so I just have some really good memories of going there and camping and racing. And even though you feel like you wake up sore from sleeping in a tent and you get up and like, just, there's just some, to me, there's just like magic there. I always feel good. And even when it's super hot and hilly and I feel exhausted i just i just keep wanting to go back so yeah that's my face yeah i love those those places you go to where you just like come to life you know um that's that's a good one mm-hmm. all right cool so you've been super generous with your time Brittany. i really appreciate it i just have two last questions for you so i am like really really interested in how people handle and manage pain uh in endurance sports so for you, you think about yourself like in the moment, whether it's a race or training, you're in that moment where like everything is just burning on fire. Like what is going through your mind in that moment? Ideally, like what are you thinking about? How do you continue to push yourself when you find yourself in just like a world of hurt? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's always the same. I think I like try different strategies and kind of see like what works for me. Um, so like sometimes it might be like 
my like a like a song. Like sometimes I'll I'll go into a race or a workout with a song in mind that I'm gonna like sing when I need it the most. Um, so I I find like even in really long triathlons. I might literally be singing the same song for five hours. Like I'm able to, my brain just goes into this like repetitive mode and I don't even realize it. And afterward I'm like, all I thought about the whole time was this one song. Um, (laughs) So you're in the pain cave for five hours in triathlon? Well, that's the thing. Like it's different in a long, long course triathlon versus like when I do super intense draft legal sprint triathlons or if I'm doing like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Olympic style of triathlon, but it's, it's draft legal. So you have like a super intense short, shortish swim, depending on the distance where it's just like, that's like probably the most intense part of the race because you're trying to get into a good position so that you can get into the lead bike pack. And then the first couple minutes coming out of the swim, you just like everybody just sprints to their bike and then hammers on the bike for a couple minutes to try to break away or get into a a good pack. And then it's sort of can like it can mellow out a little bit. Um, But the Olympic format is pretty intense. Um, So it depends on the distance of the race, like the type of suffering. But if it's like um a half iron man, you know, it's like four to five hours. Um, and it definitely isn't, it isn't that painful the whole time. It's like maybe the last couple miles of the race, but it's just different types of pain depending on the type of race. Um, so I'd say like, if it's a super intense pain, like in a track workout or like in a sprint, um, then I would probably, have a different strategy where it's like um where I really have to uh either focus on like my breathing or um my steps or something I think I try one of the things I try to do is like relax a little bit so like I'll try to take a breath through my nose if I'm starting to like feel panicked and feel like my heart rate's getting too high and that can help me a lot Um, so I just, I try different strategies or even like just counting, counting to 10, a bunch of times, um, praying if I have the focus (laughs) to like get my brain focused on that. But, um, I think it's, it's hard. It feels like sometimes like you don't have control of what you're thinking about in that state. Totally. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important that you do have like a lot of different tools, like you're talking about different things you can try to nurse yourself through those moments. Cause I find that, yeah, it's kind of different every time, you know, so you better have like a whole tool bag full of things that you've learned in practice that help you suffer well. So I'm curious, what was the, do you remember what the song was that you had in your mind for five hours? Well, it's, I've done that a few different times. So like, I'll usually in the weeks before, if I have like a half Ironman, I'll start thinking about what song I'm going to like sing during the race. (laughs) So then I'll like listen to it a lot, especially like right before, maybe like on the way to the race. And then sometimes like I'll plan that and then it won't actually happen. Like my brain will forget what the song was during the race. So I'll just sing something else. But 
Yeah, I've had a few different ones. (laughs) No, and not that bad, but um, (laughs) I can't even remember anymore. You can't remember any of your songs? I want to know. I know my first, I, I do remember the first one, the first time I did that was my very first half Iron Man. And I didn't do it intentionally. It just came into my head. Um, but it was like a casting crown song. And I remember I just sang it the entire time. Wow. Nice. That's cool. That, uh, that reminds me of uh, talking about like pump up songs. Coach Rico, he's, he's always, he was training up here in Flagstaff with us and he'd bring a speaker out and he's always playing greatest showman at the track. And uh, <laughs> to this day, I'm always giving him the hardest time. Like, how does that get you going? Greatest showman. But, <laughs> I guess to each their own, but yours sounds more legit than that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So last question, and don't feel like you got to be short with this because this might be require a little bit of explanation, but what, as you look back over your entire um, career in the endurance space, what has been like the biggest kind of internal struggle that you've had and what, how have you um, overcome that? Ooh. I like to leave it I on think... a light one, you know, keep it, keep it, keep it light at the end. Uh, <laughs> Just hit you I with the bomb right at the end. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it is the biggest struggle, but what comes to my head is just um, probably the one that's taken me the longest. And I still, still will feel like I'll always have to struggle with, but is the, I think it's like a hot, I think it's also pretty like a lot of people are talking about this right now, but like, um, the body image disordered eating complex that I have dealt with, like, I think it came from when I was a swimmer, like up until I swam like all through high school and Um, up until my freshman year of college, like I never considered, I never had any concern about food or what my body looked like really. And then I just remember like, I don't know if it was the stress of starting college or what, but like, I definitely like was so tired and so, um, like definitely pushing my body so much that I wasn't able to listen to it and like overate gained weight, was very stressed in my freshman year. And then after that, just kind of like tried to take things into my own, tried to like control food and exercise to manipulate my body to look a certain way. And then like that definitely sent me down this path of like being way too concerned, like my brain, all I could think about. I remember there were just maybe a whole year where like my literally probably 80% of my thoughts were like calories and food and weight and exercise and body image. And I didn't have the capacity to like really think about anything else. Um, and it was just like, yeah, I mean, that took, because I was so, you know, like when you have mental habits, they're really difficult to break. Like your brain just like wires itself to go to those pathways. Um, so then it just took me a really long time to first want to change that 
and like then be like tr- be able to trust that my body knew what it needed and that I could listen to my body. Like I was so afraid that if I listened to my hunger and satiety signals that my body wasn't, that I wasn't going to, um, you know, be healthy or be fit or be strong, um, or look a certain way. So it took me a long time to like regain trust in those like innate capabilities that we're wired with. Um, and like learn how to even eat, which is such a basic human thing. And like, I think we all kind of, we unlearn how to eat by either listening to other people or like reading about like diets and what we think we should weigh or what we think, how many calories we think we should eat. So, um, I think that was like, yeah, probably one of my biggest challenges and I'm really happy that um I feel like that's just like uh a big testimony of like how God has worked in my life through that and I'm able to like help others now with that part of their life totally yeah man I can definitely relate to that um such a challenge to balance it properly right because it's like you know like run free training like nutrition is a big part of like our holistic approach to training and we have our athletes do like a three-day um log where they're tracking what they're eating and um you know and that's really helpful for a lot of people just to be like aware of what they're eating but then it can and it has like for myself and sounds like for you as well where it kind of begins to like take over and get into this unhealthy space and like you're mentioning where you lose contact with your body and being able to listen to it and to trust it like you were saying um so do you have any tips for people on that in terms of like how do you what's a healthy way that you can like pay attention to your nutrition and do a good job with your nutrition and do think about your nutrition but not like have it like you're saying take over to where it's taking up 80 percent of your thoughts during the day like having been through that do you have any tips for people of how they can kind of navigate those tricky waters yeah i think like so i actually I was super passionate about nutrition because of all of my issues and like concerns. So I, I ended up studying nutrition and thought that I wanted to be a dietitian. Um, so I went like got my master's and decided as I was in school that I didn't want to be a dietitian, but I still wanted to learn about like the science of nutrition so that I could use it as a coach. Um, And now like that I've done that, I think I have a pretty good balance of like knowing um, the fundamentals of like what, like what's going into my body and what food is made of and what's happening and how it's getting broken down and used. Um, But then I also have the experiential knowledge of um, the mental aspect because food is such a, such a social and mental and emotional thing too. It's not just the physical. So I think like that trust thing is so key because if we don't trust that, um, that our bodies are able to like, to feel what is like good nourishment or like what is satisfying, um, 
and tell us those things, then like, we're, we're always going to try to like calculate it and just like, but, but we can't even like, I don't, I mean, there might be someday like a way to just like plug yourself into some device and it'll tell you exactly what you need and how much, but I feel like even if you were to, to calculate with a counter, like how many calories you need per day, that's not going to tell you how many calories you're burning emotionally and mentally and like what kind of other um, processes are going on. And like, um, so anyways, my tip would be to uh, just try it, like give it a, give it a shot at like trusting for a while and see how it goes. And like maybe like a month where you, um, you just say like, well, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try to listen to my body and like maybe write down how you're feeling before you eat or like why you're, why you're eating what you're eating and how it makes you feel. And like, if you're satisfied afterward and, um, just kind of like really tuning in to what your body's saying. And I think it takes a while. It takes patience. Cause you've, if you've unlearned how to listen for so many years, you're not going to undo that in a week. So really like, um, giving it some time, trusting, and then like with the balance thing, I think, um, just because you're listening to your body, it's not like your body's going to suddenly say like, well, I need to eat all the pizza and all the candy and all the cake and all, you know, like, I think people are worried that if they listen to their body, they're just going to eat junk all the time. But I think like learning, like once you allow yourself to, yeah, maybe get a little carried away sometimes and like then learn how it feels afterward, then your body's going to be like, oh, well, actually, I don't really want all that grease and all that sugar because it makes me feel really terrible. Um, so I'll have a little bit <laughs> right. but like, Oh, I, I actually really enjoy like that salad and that water. And, you know, I don't need this. It's just a mental, like I, I may not be eating this because I physically need it. Maybe I'm just emotional. Maybe I need to talk about that with somebody. Maybe I don't need to eat this. So Right. Yeah. Or like maybe you're just craving carbs, you know, <laughs> and like you do need a carb, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like chocolate cake carb, you know, like yeah, yeah. meet that need in different ways. I love that tip. And I think this is like a great time for people to try that, you know, like with, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, we have like virtual races going and stuff, but with nothing like really on the, you know, in-person races on the immediate horizon, now's a great time to experiment with some different stuff, whether it's different style of training or different approach to nutrition and your thought life and how you think about nutrition and uh, learning to trust your body. And, you know, as I think back, on my career, I think the biggest, like one of the biggest lessons that I learned was, um, how I didn't do a great job of partnering with my body and listening to my body. And if I could go back and do things differently, that's what I would do. And that's why, you know, Sarah's mm-hmm. still going strong because she's really good at listening to her body and adjusting accordingly. So I think, uh, you know, this tip of trusting yourself and trusting your body with nutrition is so, so, so important. I think it would have, you know, potentially change the way the end of my career went had I tried something like you're talking about. So really want to encourage you guys who are listening to um, take this advice to heart and learn to trust your body, learn to, um, that your body knows what it needs and that you, you, you can, you can fall back on it and you can trust it and, um, good things are going to happen when you do do that. So 
Thanks for sharing, Brittany. I really appreciate it. This has been super interesting. I could have talked much longer. We already mm-hmm. went over time. I could have, I had a whole bunch of questions I was writing down as we were discussing. So we'll have to do it again. I'll have to pick your brain on more um, training philosophies and, and stuff you've picked up over the years because you're bringing a whole wealth of knowledge to run free. So thank you for coaching for us. Um, we're honored to have you as a coach. And I know our athletes are loving working with you as they're beginning to, uh, to sign on with you as you're new to run free. But thank you for all you're doing for run free and being a part of our community. Thank you so much. It's been really fun talking. Appreciate it. Cool. All right. Have a good rest of your day, guys. Happy training until next week. Signing off.